Mark, this is Democracy Now! I'll vote for somebody, not Trump, not uh, Biden. I'll vote, I don't know what will vote, but not, I will be, I will vote, but not for both of them. With protests in the streets, President Biden makes a campaign stop in Michigan, home to the largest percentage of Arab Americans in the United States. Is Biden losing the Arab American vote over his support for Israel's assault on Gaza? We'll speak with the mayor of Dearborn, Abdullah Hamoud, who refused to meet with Biden's campaign manager. And we'll talk to Arab American pollster James Zogby. Then, origin. I want to be in the story, really inside the story, and build a thesis that shows how all of this is linked. We speak with award-winning filmmaker Ava DuVernay about her new film that dramatizes the book Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Isabel Wilkerson. The film follows Isabel Wilkerson in her pursuit of truth as she writes the book. And along the way, you watch her overcome great personal challenge and also complete the book cast. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Over one million displaced Palestinians are under threat of a new ground assault on Gaza's southernmost city of Rafah after the Israeli military said it would attack the area once labeled a safe zone. The U.N. called Rafah, located on the border with Egypt, a, quote, pressure cooker of despair. The death toll in Gaza continues to rise, with over 27,000 people killed and more than 66,000 wounded in four months. Over 11,000 of those killed by Israel have been children. The Palestine Red Crescent Society is calling for the international community to intervene immediately to halt attacks on medical workers and to help find a six-year-old girl, Hind, and two members of their emergency medical team, Yusuf Zeno and Ahmed Amadoun, who've been missing for nearly four days. Hind and her 15-year-old relative, Leanne Hamade, called the Red Crescent Monday pleading for help as Israeli tanks approached their family's car in Gaza City. All six members of Hind's family were killed by Israeli fire, including Leon. These were her last words recorded on the call with a Red Crescent dispatcher. Hello? Hello, dear? They are shooting at us. Hello? They are shooting at us. The tank is next to me. Are you hiding? Yes, in the car. We're next to the tank. Are you inside the car? Hello? 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 After all her family members were killed, six-year-old Hind remained trapped in the car as emergency workers tried to reach her. This is Rana Al-Faqih the emergency dispatcher who spent several hours on the phone with him trying to reassure and calm the little girl. 
It is a painful experience when you hear her voice, which was trembling, sad, and at the same time, she had hope that someone would save her. But we were helpless. We felt that we were paralyzed because we were thinking about the situation she was in. She was trapped inside a car with six bodies of martyrs, audio of tanks and aircraft firing. When the tank came close to her, she was screaming and crying. The worst minute was when she said the tank got closer and then the phone cut. At this moment, I thought the tank climbed on the car. At this moment, I started to cry and I was trying to be strong. President Biden signed an executive order Thursday imposing new sanctions on Israeli settlers involved in violent attacks on Palestinians in the occupied West Bank. At least eight Palestinians, including one child, have been killed and over 100 injured in some 500 settler attacks since October 7th. The executive order for now targets just four settlers, but could be used against others in the future, including Israeli politicians. Biden officials reportedly considered adding the ultra-nationalist cabinet ministers Itamar Ben-Gavir and Bezalel Smotrich to the list, but decided against it. The Pentagon's approved a series of strikes against targets inside Iraq and Syria in response to the recent attack on a U.S. military base in northern Jordan that killed three U.S. soldiers and other attacks in the region. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said the U.S. is working to avoid a wider Middle East conflict and is not seeking war with Iran. Our teammates were killed by radical militias backed by Iran and operating inside Syria and Iraq. In the aftermath of the vile Hamas terrorist assault on Israel on October 7th, terrorist groups backed by Iran and funded by Iran have tried to create even more turmoil, including the Houthis attacking commercial shipping in the Red Sea. How much Iran knew or didn't know, we, we don't know, but it really doesn't matter because Iran sponsors these groups. It funds these groups. Secretary Austin also apologized for the secrecy, what he called privacy, surrounding his recent hospitalization and prostate cancer diagnosis. Activists shut down at least half a dozen major roads in Washington, D.C. during Thursday morning rush hour and marched through the streets to demand an end to U.S. military support for Israel. Police arrested roughly two dozen protesters. Our criminals in the building behind us need to stop funding genocide and funding our communities. We don't have health care. We don't have public education. People are dying on the streets while our government is sending $3.8 billion to genocide students and teachers and babies in the hospital. There's a genocide going right now that our government is funding. In Canada, activists blockaded all access points for the port of Vancouver, calling on the government to enact an arms embargo on Israel following the International Court of Justice ruling last week that there is a plausible risk Israel's committing genocide in Gaza. Meanwhile, over 800 officials across the United States, the U.K. and European Union released a joint letter of dissent today saying, quote, our government's current policies weaken their moral standing and undermine their ability to stand up for freedom, justice and human rights globally. 
Florida's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis is deploying state and National Guard troops to the Texas-Mexico border in a move that's been widely condemned by immigration rights groups. DeSantis made the announcement Thursday as he stood on a podium displaying the words, Stop the Invasion. DeSantis, one of many Republican leaders who's pledged support for Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott's intensifying anti-immigrant hate speech and policies. Meanwhile, Abbott continues to defy a Supreme Court order that allowed the Biden administration to cut down razor wire put up by Texas troopers along its border with Mexico. European Union leaders have approved a new 50 billion euro funding package to Ukraine, overcoming weeks of resistance from Hungary's Prime Minister Viktor Orban. This comes as the U.S. Senate is expected to vote on a Ukraine military aid and U.S.-Mexico border enforcement deal next week following heated negotiations. In Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky is reportedly set to dismiss his top general, Valery Zeluzhny. Tensions between the two have been rising following Ukraine's failed counteroffensive last year and after Zeluzhny described the war with Russia as a stalemate. In related news, the International Court of Justice has found Russia violated portions of two treaties, one on financing terrorism, another on eradicating racial discrimination. The ruling came as part of Ukraine's case accusing Moscow of funding separatist groups in eastern Ukraine and discriminating against Crimea's multi-ethnic community since its annexation a decade ago. The court, however, declined to rule on Ukraine's request for Russia to pay reparations for attacks in eastern Ukraine blamed on pro-separatist as Ukrainian rebels. In the UK, the Swedish climate activist Greta Thunberg appeared in a London court Thursday as her trial got underway for protesting outside the entrance of a major oil and gas industry conference last October. Greta spoke outside the courthouse alongside two co-defendants. Even though we are the ones standing here and climate, environmental and human rights activists all over the world are being prosecuted, sometimes convicted and given legal penalties for acting in line with science, we must remember who the real enemy is. What are we defending? Who are our laws meant to protect? Back in the United States, the Republican-dominated Georgia State Senate passed a bill which would criminalize the majority of bail funds. SB 63 would make bailing more than three people out of jail per year illegal, including for nonprofits and churches that run bail funds. It also adds to the list of non-bail-eligible offenses. This comes as three activists with the Atlanta Solidarity Fund are facing racketeering and other charges in Georgia related to the prosecution of dozens of cop city protesters. It could also affect major national programs that operate in Georgia, such as Black Mama's bailout action. In New York, a federal judge sentenced former CIA software engineer Joshua Schulte to 40 years in prison after being convicted of leaking thousands of CIA documents known as Vault 7 to WikiLeaks. The leaks, published in 2017, revealed CIA programs and tools that are capable of hacking into Apple and Android cell phones. In addition to espionage and computer hacking, Schulte was also convicted for possessing child pornography. And the World Health Organization expects global cancer cases to rise by 77 percent over the next 30 years. The study predicts cancer-related deaths will roughly double from current levels to reach around 20 million fatalities a year by 2050. The WHO says tobacco, alcohol, air pollution and population aging and growth are some of the key factors behind the rising numbers. Lower income countries will be disproportionately affected. 
Currently, one out of every 12 patients in wealthier countries are diagnosed with breast cancer, and one in 71 will die from the disease. In poorer countries, just one in 27 patients are diagnosed in their lifetime, but one in 48 will die from breast cancer. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. When we come back, is President Biden losing the Arab-American vote over his support for Israel's assault on Gaza? We'll speak with the Dearborn mayor in Michigan and with Arab-American pollster James Zogby. Back in 20 seconds. Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. She's the first black woman to have the number one country song in the United States. She's only performed three times publicly in the last 15 years, but will be singing publicly that song at the Grammys this weekend with Luke Combs. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. President Biden traveled to Michigan Thursday for a campaign stop where he met with members of the United Auto Workers Union, which has endorsed him. Michigan is a crucial swing state that could prove decisive in the general election in November. Michigan's also home to the largest percentage of Arab Americans in the United States. In 2020, Biden won Michigan with just 154,000 votes more than Donald Trump, making the Arab American vote a decisive one in the election. Yet Biden's facing widespread protests over his administration's support for Israel's assault on Gaza and his refusal to call for a ceasefire. While the White House did not say ahead of time which town Biden would be visiting on Thursday, only that it was in the Detroit area, hundreds of pro-Palestinian protesters were waiting for Biden in Warren outside the UAW offices. Last week, Biden's campaign manager, Julie Chavez-Rodriguez, traveled to Dearborn to rally support for the president's reelection. Yet her trip ended when a group of Arab American leaders and elected officials declined to meet with her over the war in Gaza. Among them was the mayor of Dearborn, Michigan, Abdullah Hamoud. He wrote on X, quote, I will not entertain conversations about elections while we watch a live stream genocide backed by our government. Mayor Abdullah Hamoud is joining us now from Dearborn, which is home to one of the largest Muslim and Arab American populations in the United States. And in Washington, D.C., we're joined by James Zogby, president of the Arab American Institute. His new piece for the nation, Biden's erasure of Arabs is part of a painful history I know too well. 
We welcome you both to Democracy Now! Mayor, let's begin with you in Dearborn. I mean, this was quite a scene this week. When the UAW endorsed President Biden, um, it was a major rally for him, but a number of people uh, held up Palestinian flags and demanded a ceasefire. He comes back on Thursday. It's actually in a very small place as they try to control the possibility of protest inside and out. We only learned at the last minute where he was going to be. Uh, but talk about the stand that you took and what you're calling on the Biden administration to do, Mayor Abdullah Hamoud. Having me. You know, the stand that we took was sending the message that this is not a moment that calls for electoral politics. Over the course now of coming close to 120 days, Israel has murdered more than 27,000 Gazans and displaced over 2 million. And for us, the lives of Palestinians should not be measured simply in poll numbers. We want to have meaningful dialogue with senior decision makers and policymakers who have the ability and the openness to change course on what's folding overseas. And as you've seen at rallies across this country, the position that we've taken, one in which we support a, uh, a, a, a ceasefire, is not one just supported by Arab Americans and Muslim Americans. This is supported by over 60% of Americans across the country, over 80% of Democrats, and even over 50% of Republicans. You're the first Muslim mayor of Dearborn, also the first Arab American mayor of Dearborn. Um, you refused to meet with President Biden's campaign manager, uh, Julie Chavez Rodriguez. Can you talk about what you told the administration and her response and the Biden administration response? didn't communicate directly back to the campaign. I passed it back to the individual who was trying to organize the meeting. It was a fellow Arab American, and we had all declined uh, simultaneously. So I can't speak to what that conversation was. Um, but the message that I know that was sent, and uh, generally speaking, was that we believe that community engagement can be powerful when the conversation we're having is about saving lives. Uh, but again, it has to be with policymakers and not with campaign staff in this moment of time. Did President Biden meet with any Arab Americans yesterday that you know of? Not that I know of. I, I can't speak to what his itinerary was. But as you saw, hundreds of protesters showed up and rallied outside of where the campaign event was held. Jim Zogby, can you talk about the significance of this? You're president of the Arab American Institute. President Biden had overwhelmingly the Arab American vote in the last presidential election. Talk about how it's dropped precipitously. It's gone from 59 percent in 2020 to 17 percent end of last October. Um, I dare say it's even lower now. It, People have gone from shock and disappointment now to anger. And I think that the mayor, uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, of uh, Mayor Hamoud, but uh, I think uh, he speaks very well and clearly uh, toward what the attitude of the community is. This isn't a time to come and talk about voting for you. It's a time to talk about what the heck are you doing? And I have to say that in addition to the policy being so awful, so insensitive, so um, just genocidal in terms of, of what it's been doing, not only in terms of supporting Israel, but the ways we've been supporting Israel. In addition to that, they've been totally ham-fisted in the way that they've dealt with the community. There's not been a single Arab American leadership meeting with officials. Uh, they've uh, brought in meetings. They say this is a Muslim meeting, and they've excluded the Arab American leadership and brought in some random people that they find to fill a room so they can check the box and say, we met with people. But it's never been substantive, and it's never produced an outcome. I think they really don't care, and they think, as they've said to me, um, come November, 
it's a binary choice and your folks will vote for us. They won't. Uh, I've seen it before. We saw it in 20, 2000. We saw it in 2016. They'll vote for third party or they won't vote at all. And that spells disaster for this White House. I heard a number of people yesterday in Michigan being interviewed, Arab American voters, when asked, <laughs> well, do you really think President Trump with his Muslim ban and promising to do it again and his much closer relationship with Netanyahu and the far right in Israel would be better? And um Time and again, I mean, you had people um, holding up signs that said, abandon Biden. And when mm -hmm. saying they wouldn't vote for either, saying they would simply write in ceasefire. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're hearing. And that's what is happening right now is a, um, a, a, a move afoot to vote. Ceasefire, I think they're voting uncommitted is what the, the trend is in this primary. Um, I think that the White House is taking for granted that they've got support and they don't. Uh, they don't have ears on the ground. People who are doing the outreach for them don't have ears to hear what the community is saying or simply don't want to go back and tell their bosses this is what the community is saying. The result is, is that they're cut off from reality. They're cut off from reality that's taking place on the ground. I mean, it is a genocide. It is unfolding. They told us they were going to do it. They've done it. We're watching it play out every single day. And yet they, the, the administration responses, oh, we're urging them to be careful about civilians. And we're telling them to humanitarian aid needs to come through. It's not coming through. Genocide is happening. And yet they live in a world of denial. And they think that we're going to believe the denial instead of what we see with our eyes. So I, 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 that's how they're operating with the policy, but it's also how they're operating with the politics. These folks will come around. Like I said, it's insulting. It's demeaning. It doesn't respect people's real feelings. And the result is, is that they're slow walking the president uh, into the abyss. Uh, and November is going to be, I think, a real problem for the White House. I mean, when you talk about he's siloed off, um, <clears throat> he really hardly is. Everywhere he goes, whether it was the AME Church in Charleston, mm -hmm. people interrupting, demanding ceasefire, or yesterday, or the UAW announcement just a few days ago, where mm -hmm. auto workers were holding up signs because UAW was one of the earliest to endorse a ceasefire. President Biden himself is certainly hearing this. And I, I wanted to go to a reporter questioning White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre Wednesday. Mm -hmm. The president has faced a lot of criticism in Michigan from the Arab American community. Uh, what does he say? That, what's his message to them, uh, those who feel disenchanted by the Gaza operation? Look, the president's going to continue uh, continues to believe that uh, Israel has a right to defend himself. They have a right to defend itself as long as they continue. Uh, they, it is done in accordance of uh, humanitarian, uh, uh, international humanitarian law. So we will continue to have those conversations with them. At the same time, at the same time, he is heartbroken, heartbroken by the suffering of innocent Palestinians. So that was Green Jean-Pierre's message to Michigan as President Biden went there, is that that Israel has a right to defend itself. Um, Mayor uh, Hamdoun, will you be voting for President Biden? 
You know, for me, that question falls back to President Biden. What will he do to earn the trust and respect of the constituency that he's trying to represent? You know, I was watching that press conference, and it really is a slap to the face. Um, every military expert and humanitarian expert across this globe has demonstrated that Israel is not abiding by any international law. That is why the International Court of Justice actually moved forward with South Africa's case, indicating that it's very plausible that what is unfolding uh, in Israel, uh, in Gaza, excuse me, by the state of Israel, is a genocide and upheld again by a federal judge here in the United States just this week in which he dismissed the case of an organization tried suing President Biden. And in the judge's opinion, he said, I do believe it is very plausible that Israel is committing a genocide that is being supported and upheld and defended by these United States of America. President uh, Mayor Hamoud, um, you have constituents whose families are in Gaza. What are they saying to you? And do you think the situation will be very different in, well, almost a year from now when the election takes place? Uh, people feel betrayed. We were promised in 2020 a president who was going to bring back decency to the White House, who led with humanity. And what we've seen since October 7th is anything but. We've seen an alignment with Benjamin Netanyahu and the most right-wing government in Israel's history. And we cannot, for the life of us, understand why. Why understanding that Trump being a threat to our American democracy is that alignment with Benjamin Netanyahu worth the unraveling of the very fabric of our American democracy. And so that's how people are feeling right now. I wanted to go to an Al Jazeera reporter, Fadi Mansour, who questioned Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin in his first news conference since he was hospitalized about U.S. military support for Israel. Back in December, in your speech uh, at the Reagan uh, Library, you told Israeli leaders they have to protect civilian lives in Gaza. Since that speech, 12,000 more Palestinians have been killed. <coughs> We're now at 27,000 killed. Why are you still supporting this war when this government that is the most extreme in the history of Israel, led by someone who refuses to recognize any political right for the Palestinians, and with elements that are calling for uh, ethnic cleansing and displacement of Palestinians? Do Palestinians have the right to dignity, as you said in Angola when I was with you on the trip? You said the future belongs to those who protect dignity, not trample it. Yeah. Um, I said that in the speech at the Reagan Forum. Uh, I've said that to my counterpart, Minister Gallant, every time that I talk to him, and I talk to him every week. Uh, and I, I emphasize the importance of uh, protecting uh, civilian lives. I also emphasize the importance of uh, providing humanitarian assistance to uh, the Palestinians. So that's Lloyd Austin, uh, defense secretary, being questioned by Al Jazeera. Uh, Jim Zogby, if you can talk about what you feel needs to happen right now and the people you're polling, you're talking to, what could make a difference? At this point, in terms of electoral uh, politics, I'm not sure that anything makes a real difference. Uh, the wound is too deep. The losses are too great. Um, the the hurt is real, and they're doing nothing to address it. But at least to have a conversation, they have to make some dramatic changes in policy. The first, of course, is a ceasefire. We had a summit with Reverend Jackson's Operation Push and Interfaith Collection of Organizations uh, a couple of weeks back in Chicago. We had three demands, an immediate, sustainable ceasefire, 
increase in humanitarian aid and reconstruction aid in Gaza and conditioning U.S. aid to Israel, military aid to Israel, stopping it and then conditioning future aid based on U.S. law. Those are the three essential demands, I think, to move it forward. They're not listening to us. They're not even asking us. Um, and yet they want our vote. And so I, I think that y- you can get a conversation, which is an important thing moving forward. Any community needs a, a, a conversation with those in the White House. But getting our vote, uh, there's a lot of hurt here to get over. It's sort of like a, a serial cheat coming home to his wife and saying, uh, this time I'm going to change. You got to show it. Even to have a conversation, you have to show it. Uh, and do- we're not seeing that from these guys now at all. James Zogby, president of Arab American Institute, uh, we will link to your article in The Nation, Biden's erasure of Arabs as part of a painful history I know well. And thanks so much to Dearborn Mayor Abdul Hamoud. This is Democracy Now! Coming up, we speak with award-winning filmmaker Ava DuVernay about her new film, Origins. Stay with us. We are the color found in the spring. You are the wind breathing to me. You inherit me. I inherit you. I have the language you speak to me. I am by the New Zealand Maori artist Stan Walker for the soundtrack of Evo DuVernay's new film, Origin. This is Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman. We spend the rest of the hour with award-winning filmmaker Ava DuVernay. She's explored black history in many of the movies. She's directed from Selma to the documentary 13th that explores race in the prison industrial complex to the miniseries When They See Us about the Central Park Five, now known as the Exonerated Five. She also directed Disney's A Wrinkle in Time. Ava DuVernay's new film is called Origin, takes viewers on a journey that explores racism from the United States and the killing of Trayvon Martin to Dalits in India, all used to be called The Untouchables, to Nazi book burnings in Germany and the killings of Jews in the lead-up to World War II. It does so by dramatizing the book Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents, by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Isabel Wilkerson, as well as the process of writing the book. This is the trailer for Origin. You look closely, you'll find something tragic was happening. Are you interested in writing something for us? I don't do assignments anymore. Yeah, well, you're a better writer than most people do anything. Have you heard the tapes? No. Uh, of what? Sniper Police Department, this is Sean. Hey, we've had some break-ins in my neighborhood, and there's a real suspicious guy. Looks like he's up to no good or something. I want to be in the story, really inside the story, and build a thesis that shows how all of this is linked. I gotta be honest with you, I don't understand. I don't see it. You go and write your stories. Folks need to know about this. You're trying to make sense of racism, but your thesis is flawed. It was all lies. They knew we weren't inferior. You don't escape trauma by ignoring it. 
escape trauma by confronting him. I don't write questions. I write answers. The trailer for Origin, which is in movie theaters now. It's directed by the award-winning filmmaker Ava DuVernay, who I recently interviewed. I began by asking about her decision to make this uh, feature film instead of a documentary. Well, I read the book. Um, it came out in 2020, about uh, two months after the murder of George Floyd. So Isabel Wilkerson published his cast. Um, when I read it, I am captivated by the ideas I had never put the idea of caste in a contemporary context as it relates to African-American history or, you know, American history in general, and certainly not in a contemporary context as I put it against, um, uh, you know, challenging current cases of of criminal misconduct and, 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 and the killing of black people, um, as we see in the case of Trayvon Martin, which is um, discussed in the film. And so these are all new ideas to me. I was, I was really motivated to, to share them with folk in an accessible way. So all of my aha moments from reading the book are in the film, but I needed a main character to drive us through what is truly an anthropological thesis. I mean, Isabel Wilkerson writes it in a beautiful way, but it is pretty dense material. And so my goal was to attach character into that so that there could be a deeper empathy and a, a following of, of, of a leading lady. And so played by Anjanou Ellis Taylor, the film follows Isabel Wilkerson in her pursuit of truth as she writes the book. And along the way, you watch her overcome great personal challenge and also complete the book cast. I want to go where you begin um, origin or on the issue that you begin origin, uh, featuring Isabel Wilkerson, uh, played by Ingenue Ellis. Listen. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot. There's a lot there. But longer form stuff, questions that I don't have the answer to. So ask them in a piece. I don't write questions. I write answers. Questions like what? Like, why does a Latino man deputize himself to stalk a black boy to protect an all-white community? What is that? The racist bias I want you to explore, excavate for the readers. We call everything racism. What does it even mean anymore? It's the default. <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> Brett. So wait, so you're saying that, that he isn't a racist? No, I'm not saying that he's not a racist. I'm questioning why is everything racist? So that is Isabel Wilkerson, played by Ingenue Ellis Taylor. Um, and... If you can go to why you decided to start with Trayvon Martin, and as you said, actually, you hear George Zimmerman's voice. Yes. Uh, when I was uh, interviewing Ms. Wilkerson about her process in writing the book, she had shared that the verdict of the case against George Zimmerman uh, was a, a seminal moment in her curiosity and in her quest to put together the pieces and 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 try to pursue this notion of, of caste and explaining it to folks. And so um, I wanted to begin where she began. In the film, uh, you see it opens with uh, a day in the life of a teenager named Trayvon. 
and you are walking with him as he is going about his business, talking to a friend on the phone, going to, uh, uh, you know, buy, buy a snack. And those few minutes that you see him before anything happens to him, before he is stalked and assaulted and killed, um, are moments to constructed to humanize him and allow you to learn a little bit about him outside of the context of what was done to him. And that was important to me in any rendering of, of challenge and trauma to make sure that we are doing exactly what cast asks us not to do. Cast asks us not to humanize one another. Um, but in the rendering of Trayvon Martin, uh, we make sure that we open on just him before anything else. And so because that was the beginning of, of, of Isabel Wilkerson's writing journey, part of the beginning of it, uh, we began the film that way as well. And talk about why you decided to call the film not cast, but origin. Well, because I didn't want to be disingenuous. The, the, the film is not the book. The film is about the writing of the book, and it's about the woman who wrote the book. Um, you're going to get some good pieces of the book, but it's about the uh, intellectual pursuit. It's about the curiosity that leads us to knowledge. It's about the interrogation of status and power. It's about, uh, it's about obstacle. It's about love. Uh, it's about triumph over adversity. Uh, and it's, it's, it's different than the book. You know, it's about the life and work of, of this woman as she's writing cast. And so I didn't want to call it cast and, have you see it and think, wait, what am, what am I doing here inside of this marriage or inside of this relationship with uh, Ruby Wilkerson, who uh, was Isabel Wilkerson's mother? Um, so origin is a word in the subtitle of the book. The book is, as you know, cast the origins of our discontents. And so we stay true to the uh, proximity between the two by using the same word. Let's go to Isabel herself. Um, I interviewed her in 2020, um, after she won the Pulitzer Prize for The Warmth of Other Suns, when her book Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents, came out. In your book Cast, um, you write about uh, Bimro Ambedkar, uh, the intellectual leader of India's Dalit uh, movement, um, what people call the untouchable movement. He wrote to W.E.B. Du Bois in 1946, there is so much similarity between the position of the untouchables in India and of the position of the Negroes in America, he wrote. Can you talk about who he was in relation to Gandhi in India? And then W.E.B. Du Bois's response. Well, uh, uh, Gandhi was from a family that was um, upper, an upper caste, uh, one of the upper castes. And uh, so he was the leader in the effort toward independence for the entire country of India and is known, obviously, for his uh, nonviolent uh, uh, approach to, uh, to achieving independence and to protesting. Uh, Dr. Ambedkar was a leader of the, uh, of the Dalit movement. He was born into what was then known or called as, the untouch as, as one of the untouchables, one of the groups that was viewed as untouchable. And he went on to uh, achieve uh, great heights in, uh, in his education. He actually attended Columbia University and he uh, got many advanced degrees. And then he returned to lead the movement toward 
uh, first of all, uh, the Indian Constitution, but then also continuing to advocate on behalf of his of his people. And he uh, is one of the uh, of the is, is an example of how people in India, particularly those who had been on, uh, assigned to uh, the lowest caste had been looking and aware of, of what was going on across the oceans, across continents, of what was going on here in the United States, and made common cause or recognized the common cause between the plight of the Dalits, formerly known as untouchables, and of African Americans here in this country. So Dr. Ambedkar reached out to W.E.B. Du Bois, who was at that time uh, obviously one of the, the leaders of, of African American intellect and thought and and philosophy reached out to him uh, in recognition of the connections between between the two peoples and the two countries in terms of the hierarchies. Both of them recognized that hierarchy, infrastructure, the infrastructure of our divisions, that a caste system was an appropriate term to uh, to look at how both uh, peoples were being treated in their respective societies. Though the countries are very very different, they share uh, some somewhat they share in the ways of subordinating the very lowest caste people in their countries. So that was Isabel Wilkerson talking about her book, Cast, when it first came out in 2020. And now we're going to go to Isabel Wilkerson, played by Ingenue Ellis Taylor, um, talking about the Dalits of India. Millennia ago, Dalits were called the untouchables of India. Enforced into the degrading work of manual scavenging, the practice of cleaning excrement from toilets and open drains by hand in exchange for leftover food. The only thing that they have to protect their bodies is oil, each other, and their prayers. To refuse is to invite severe punishment or death. This persists to this day. From origin, Ava DuVernay's film. Uh, Ava, talk about this journey that Isabel Wilkerson takes uh, to India. Also, the crisis in her personal life, so deeply involved with her family, so close to um, her cousin, her mother, um, losing her family as she traveled. Yes. Well, the film chronicles um, the personal life of Isabel Wilkerson and some of the, um, you know, losses that she shared with me. Um, that she endured during the lead up to writing the book uh, in a 16 month span, she lost um, her three family members and, um, and was still somehow able to anchor herself in her work and pull herself through. I won't say, won't say over because you never completely get over those losses, but through it to a place um, where uh, she was able to use her creative output her, her um, kind of intellectual energy to, um, to, to stand in grief in a different way. And a part of that uh, process was a visit to India. It was one of several places she traveled around the world to research the book cast. Um, I was also, you know, uh, 
thrilled to have the pleasure to to go to India and to shoot the, those scenes in Delhi, uh, to speak with uh, one of the same scholars that she spoke to, Dr. Siraj Yenge, uh, who plays himself in the film. Uh, and he introduced me to a whole world of Dalit intellectuals and activists. Um, the two men that you see um, kind of performing the act of manual scavenging are two actual men who um, are in that position in India to this day. They are two men who are associated with the advocacy group, and they uh, generously um, agreed to, uh, you know, uh, do the work on camera. Uh, they were wonderful to work with. And just to give context to an American audience, the money that we gave them, that paid them um, to be uh, performers in the film that day um, was more than they make all year um, in, in that job. It's not even a job. It's 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 an it's an existence. And um, and so it was a profound uh, experience, as described in the book uh, for Isabel Wilkerson and certainly for me as a filmmaker to be there. And for Dr. King, as you point out, Dr. Yes. Martin Luther King, who went to India, talk about that part of this connection between yes. the treatment of African-Americans in the United States and what he discovered in India. He talked about his um, realization when he was there in India that he is um, a, a lower class American citizen and, and, and talks about the African-American experience in context of caste. And it animates his thinking about um, the, the, the black experience in new ways, which he wrote about and talked about extensively. I did the film Selma, didn't know that. And uh, I've researched Dr. King extensively, knew he had visited India, knew that he had gone there, but never had read or heard about his, you know, what he took from it. So you take us from the treatment of African-Americans and the oppression of African-Americans in the United States to the treatment of the Dalits, what was formerly known as the untouchables, to what happened to Jews in Nazi Germany. And that's where I want to go next. In this clip of Origin that features a scene when the character Isabel Wilkerson, played by Anjanou Ellis-Taylor, addresses an audience about her book cast— on this day, he folded his arms rather than salute a regime that deemed that love illegal. On this day, he was brave. He couldn't have been the only one who felt something tragic was happening. So why was he the only one among the men to not go along that day. Perhaps we can reflect on what it would mean to be him today. I'll leave you with that. Thank you. That was a clip of Isabel Wilkerson, played by Anjanou Ellis-Taylor, um, giving a speech about caste. Behind her, a black-and-white footage of men and women in Germany putting up their hand in the Heil Hitler salute. Um, Ava DuVernay, you're talking there—or, I should say, Isabel's talking—about August Landmesser. Tell us his story. 
Yes, August, August Landmaster is one of the first stories that uh, the book Cast opens with. So, you know, if you're if you're reading it in the first 15 minutes, you're going to hit this story, which just captivated my imagination the first time I read it. And uh, I, I, I had to delve deeper and really know what happened to him and what happened to 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 his love, Irma. So it's the story of August and Irma. And they um, are both Germans. She's Jewish. Uh, and he had registered as a member of the Nazi party a couple of years before uh, the moment of this very famous picture, which I, I know many people have seen. Um, and so in the film, we chronicle and, 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 and show and share everything that I could find about what happened to them after that moment. But in the book, uh, Isabel talks about this moment of defiance and of resistance. And, uh, you know, I, I like the words that we use in the film on this day. He was brave um, because, you know, none of us are brave all of the time. But on that day, when it came down to standing up for what you truly believe, um, he would not heil Hitler. Uh, he had someone at home who he loved, who was Jewish. Um, and he um, he stood on those principles and didn't go along with the status quo. And uh, it's a it's a beautiful love story in the film overall. And it really kind of exemplifies the 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 humanity that Isabel shares in the book. And you weave into this Elizabeth and Allison Davis, two black anthropologists who co-wrote the groundbreaking book Deep South. We're going to play a clip for a moment of book burnings in Germany and that place outside of Humboldt University, uh, where you see, um, instead of cement in the plaza, just a square where you look down bright light and you just see white, empty shelves. This was Isabel Wilkerson when she took that journey, played by Ingenue Ellis Taylor. In Germany, as memorials to nearly everyone victimized by the Nazis. And there's no entry sign, no, no gate. It's just open, both day and night. Just standing to bear witness. books were lost at night. Books filled with imagination, ideas, and history. Leave here, my friends. Leave Germany. Go to your home as soon as you can. You'll be safer there. An excerpt of the extraordinary film Origin. Ava, introduce us to these authors who wrote this seminal work in the United States and your discovery, uh, Isabel Wilkerson's discovery of the connection they had between the United States and Germany. Yes, yes. Well, it always moves me in that scene where he says, you'll be safer there. Um, not true. 
right? Uh, they, he's sending them back home to the segregated South. So Alice and Elizabeth Davis were two anthropologists uh, in the film, excuse me, in the book, uh, Isabel talks about the uh, connection and the kindred feeling um, between Alison Davis's uh, work and her work. Um, she regards him as a seminal figure in the development of her ideas around this work. And, um, and they, and she talks primarily about research that they did in Natchez, Mississippi for their book, Deep South. In the book, she mentions that they also had studied abroad. And when I dug deeper into that, I realized that they were actually there, had witnessed a book burning and escaped Nazi Germany right as the rise of, of Hitler uh, was, was reaching a crescendo. Um, and, 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 and so uh, I couldn't believe that the two stories converged in that way. Um, and upon further research, we're able to, you know, really try to build out what those book burnings look like, what they, what they, um, what they did, how they functioned, and so what you just saw is the culmination of a, of a sequence that digs into um, Alison Elizabeth Davis in Germany as, you know, studying and and then coming across uh, this burning of books, books in a place called Bibelplatz. And we shot um, in the exact square. Some of the scenes that you were shots that you were seeing are exact recreations of photographs of that actual incident. So it was a thrill to actually be there standing on the same cobblestone and uh, rendering those images about two African-American scholars who had to leave under the you know cover of night to get out of Germany under the Hitler to avoid Hitler and being an African-American woman standing in that square, recreating those uh, those those images freely. Um, a, a, a big full circle moment, but the book Deep South is is um, is is been republished with a foreword by Isabel Wilkerson, and it tells the remarkable stories of uh, of cast that um, the Davises, as well as their um, colleagues, the Gardners, um, developed and share uh, in the book about about cast. And again, that book is called Deep South, A Social Anthropological Study of Caste and Class. So you deal in the United States, in India, you deal with Germany. Um, and this goes to the issue of Isabel Wilkerson developing um, her thesis in the book Caste. I want to go to that scene when Isabel— played by Anjanou Ellis-Taylor, is at a dinner party with fellow scholars discussing the thesis of caste. Well, there are so many differences between here and there. We're talking about the systematic murder of six million Jews. That's the official number. So it's just very different than monuments to soldiers and whatnot. What? What are you saying is different? All of it. We're talking about deliberate extermination. Over many years. Yeah, but wasn't slavery for like hundreds of years? Right, right, Isabel? Slavery lasted 246 years. That's 13 generations of people, plus another 100 years of Jim Crow, segregation, violence, and, and murder. It is, of course, horrific. I am not downplaying any of it. There were so many millions of African Americans who were murdered from the middle passage until the end of legal segregation, that it goes beyond the realm of an official number. 
There is no number. I didn't know that. Stunning. It is. And I understand you're trying to make sense of American racism. It is noble. But your thesis linking caste in Germany with the United States is flawed. Maybe it's not exactly the same, but... uh, The thesis of structural similarity certainly gives context for a framework. Right, but, but a framework is not a book, my friends. She is trying to connect the United States to Germany, but it doesn't fit. It's as if you're trying to fit a square inside the circle, as they say. I would just like you to note for yourself that American slavery is rooted in subjugation, dominating blacks for the purposes of capitalism, using bodies and labor for profit. But for the Jews during the Holocaust, the call was not subjugation. It was extermination. Kill them all. Wipe them off the face of the earth. There is no need for them here. It's different. A scene from the extraordinary film Origin. Ava DuVernay, that was one of the longest clips you shared with us. Talk about why this is so central and the kind of pushback that Isabel Wilkerson got as she developed this idea of caste. Yes, well, she shared it with me as she, you know, took the, the, these ideas around the world and talked with different scholars, different writers about it, that there, that there were questions and people had different points of view about, um, about caste, about it, the way that it works. And it's, it's a connective tissue between, cultures and communities. And so, you know, I think it's all part of a conversation that I hope the film um, instigates. Um, You know, I've said that the film is not, I'm not seeking agreement with all of the ideas, but I do feel that we should engage with ideas. And I think that far too often we're in our corners and not, and not engaging with one another about these things. And so as Isabel explained to me, you know, she did uh, attend uh, a dinner party where there was a difference of opinion and, and intellectuals were talking and wrestling with, uh, with ideas in this way. And, and that scene really be, propels her on a journey to prove the kinds of things that she's trying to prove to uncover uh, what, what binds us together as opposed to standing in our corners and saying that these things aren't alike. Um, and, you know, um, I, I feel that um, her quest to do that and the book that came from it, uh, it was a great, great gift. Um, you know, certainly there are um, instances in the journey where uh, you there are obstacles and people are saying, I don't agree with that. Um, but it doesn't mean you don't take the journey. And I think that's one of the big things that I learned from her in, in making this film. Uh, and, and hopefully it comes across when you watch this scene and then the scenes that, that, that come after. This scene propels her forward with a new, with a new zest for actually you know, proving... Um, proving her thesis. Is there anything else you want to add, Ava, before we end? I would love to add that this picture is is in the world um, in a way that is very independent. And I, I believe your audience um, embraces that. 
And you made it in time for the 2024 election. Does that have yeah. any meaning to you, the fact that it is out for this pivotal election year, some calling it perhaps the most important election ever? Yes. I mean, that this was intentional. It was important for me that the film be out this year. There were opportunities for us to make it with more money and with more bells and whistles with studios involvement. Um, but it wouldn't have been out this year. You know, it, it is not a film made to make money for corporations. It's a film made to ignite our imaginations and our curiosity and get us to lean in and figure out what we're going to do next. Uh, because um, this is an essential time for action. And so that that's our offering and that's our hope. Award-winning filmmaker Ava DuVernay, who explores black history in many of her films, from Selma to 13th to the series When They See Us. Her new movie, Origin, is in theaters now as Black History Month begins in the United States. It dramatizes the book Cast, the Origins of Our Discontents, by the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Isabel Wilkerson. Ava's the winner of the Emmy, BAFTA, and Peabody Awards, and an Academy Award nominee. Democracy Now! has job openings. Go to democracynow.org for more information. I'm Amy Goodman. Thank you so much.